0: City WLCC Brandon
1: Faith Talk Tampa Online at letstalkfaith.com
0: Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries And is pre-recorded
1: Now, from what we know about the Pharisees, based on what we read in the New Testament concerning the interaction that Jesus had with these men, we know that these Pharisees were very concerned about impressing others. They lived to impress others by appearing to be very spiritual and pious. Everything was an outward show. Jesus said that they loved the praises of men rather than the praise of God. He said that they played to their audience by practicing their righteousness before others in order to be thought of as holy and righteous men. But it was all a show. It was just a theatrical production to gain the applause of
2: others. Sometimes it's hard to be a Christ-pleaser rather than a people-pleaser. But when we put our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit begins to work in us, reminding us that we are slaves to Christ, and our primary role is to make Him look good not ourselves. I'm glad you tuned in today to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is taking us through an in-depth study of the book of Galatians. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to four young churches in Asia Minor to combat the false teaching that salvation required keeping the law as well as trusting in Christ's death on the cross. Paul saw himself as a slave of Christ and he had to stand up to the false teachers that were misleading the Galatian Christians. Now, Off the top of my head, I can think of two major religions that supposedly came to their founders from angels. Here's what the Apostle Paul had to say about that in Galatians 1.8. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. That's how strongly Paul believed that there is only one gospel. One way to be saved, and that is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have your Bible handy if you can. Here's Pastor Steve to continue our study of Galatians chapter 1.
1: Now let me tell you why this passage of Scripture and Paul's defense of his message is so important for each of us to know and understand. All of us, all of us need to have absolute confidence that what Paul wrote about in the New Testament which actually are 13 letters are words and truths that were revealed to him by God. And they can be trusted without any hesitancy. See, if you are not convinced that the things that Paul taught and wrote in the new Testament were divinely revealed to him, then you will never have confidence in the gospel that he preached the message about salvation in Christ. And if that's the case, then you won't be saved. Because there is salvation in no other way than faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Because you won't think that what Paul had to say about Christ being Lord and Savior is God's message to man. If you don't think that way, if you think that his words were simply the words of a mere man and not God's words through him, then you won't receive what he wrote about Jesus Christ. And that would be tragic because this is the only gospel message that can save you. There's none other and there's no other savior than christ listen to what paul told the thessalonians in first thessalonians 1 13 he said for this reason we also constantly thank god that when you received the word of god which you heard from us you accepted it not as the word of men said you you heard us preach but you knew that what we had to say was not our opinion but for what it really is he said the word of god which also performs its work in you who believe? In other words, the Thessalonians were saved because they believed that when Paul preached about Jesus Christ and his death, these were not his made-up opinions. They were indeed the very words of God in Paul's own vocabulary and style as God inspired him. But those who reject Paul's words as divinely revealed and inspired are in reality not rejecting Paul, they're rejecting Christ. They're rejecting the message of salvation. See, although the false teachers of the Galatians may have been the first people to reject Paul and his gospel message, and they probably were the first, at least that we know about, because Galatians was a very early letter of Paul's. They certainly weren't the only ones, and they weren't the last ones. Over the years, there have been many people who have accused Paul of changing and corrupting the true message of Jesus. That's a very liberal view of the new testament that jesus really just spoke about love and being merciful and kind and this man paul came along and distorted it that's that's a very liberal view of the new testament so they say that paul corrupted the gospel jesus simply was talking about being loving and and uh, benevolent to others and they say that Paul corrupted it. But in doing this, they actually doom themselves to a Christless eternity because without the hope of Christ's salvation through faith alone in his death, there is no hope. There is no salvation. There is no salvation in be kind to one another. There's no salvation in be merciful, be loving. Those are nice things, but, but they mean nothing outside of the gospel of Christ's death for our sins. Consider the attitude of former president Thomas Jefferson who rejected Paul and the message of grace that he preached by accusing the apostle of being, and I quote Jefferson here, the first corrupter of the doctrines of Jesus. That's what our former president said. See, in rejecting Paul and his gospel as a corruption of what he believed Jesus really taught, Thomas Jefferson rejected Christianity, biblical Christianity, salvation and Christ himself because what Paul preached was the message that God revealed to him about Jesus Christ. Now, if you already believe that Paul's writings were inspired by God and they were truths revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, then I pray, and I have prayed that our study this morning will serve to strengthen your faith in the word of God, to strengthen it, to deepen your confidence that the Bible indeed is the written word of God. And so today, as we continue our study of Galatians, we have come to the point in this letter where Paul begins to argue He begins to argue his case against the charge of the false teachers that his message of justification by faith alone was invented by him. That's what they said, but it wasn't. And he does this, and watch the structure here. First, he makes a very clear statement in verses 11 and 12 that the gospel that he preached was revealed to him by God alone. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop Not only does he state that this message came to him by direct revelation, Paul goes on to actually prove it. He argues his point by devoting the rest of the chapter to his biography. It's really an autobiographical sketch of his life as it relates to the gospel. And he does this, note this, because he wants to show the Galatians that based on the story of his life, it would have been impossible, impossible to conclude that this gospel came from man. It had to come from God. He got his gospel message only from God. And Paul says, look at my life before conversion, at conversion, after conversion. There is no other explanation for it than that God revealed this truth to me. But note this, before the apostle starts giving us a history of his life as it relates to the gospel, he has something very important to say to us in verse 10. We didn't cover this last time, and it is important. Verse 10 serves as a transition verse from what he has just said in the previous verses about the false teachers who preached a false gospel being cursed by God to what he is about to say about the one true gospel that he preached. So it's a transition verse moving from one. Section to another verse ten. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bond servant or a slave, it should be translated of Christ. Now, based on what we read here in this verse, it would appear, it would appear that one of the charges that the false teachers leveled against Paul in trying to discredit him was that they said he was a man pleaser. He was someone who tailored his teaching to gain the approval of his Gentile audience. But Paul shows that that is an absurd accusation. And he asked the Galatians to consider how absurd this charge is in light of the sharp words he's just written about the false teachers. He's saying, Look, if I was really a man pleaser, as the Judaizers claim that I am, then how could I pronounce anathema on them or anyone else who preaches a false gospel? It just doesn't make sense. See, what Paul is saying here is this. Individuals who want to please and impress others, they don't go around telling people that they're going to hell. That's what he's saying. If I was really trying to impress anybody, why would I say what I just said? That's not how you gain popularity. It's not how they vote you in who's who in religious circles. But that's precisely what Paul did. So how could he possibly be a man pleaser? Answer is he can't be. However, it might surprise you to learn that there was a time in Paul's life when pleasing men was very important to him. And he states this in this verse. Notice he says, if I were still trying to please men, indicating that he at one time, used to try to please men. If I was still trying to do this, meaning he used to do this. See, before his conversion, Paul was a Pharisee. A Pharisee, meaning that he was a member of the most devout Jewish sect of that day. No one more religious, no one more pious, no one more devoted to Judaism than the Pharisees. And he was a good Pharisee. He was the head of his class. He was a rising star on the... Jewish religious scene. He says so in verses 13 and 14 of this, this chapter. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, try to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Paul said, I was the number one Pharisee. I was moving up the ladder and everybody knew it. Now, from what we know about the Pharisees, based on what we read in the New Testament concerning the interaction that Jesus had with these men, we know that these Pharisees were very concerned about impressing others. They lived to impress others by appearing to be very spiritual and pious. Everything was an outward show. Jesus said that they loved the praises of men rather than the praise of God. He said that they played to their audience by practicing their righteousness before others in order to be thought of as holy and righteous men. That's Matthew chapter six. But it was all a show. It was just a theatrical production to gain the applause of others. That's why Jesus called them in Matthew 23, whitewashed tombs. They were, they were men who appeared beautiful on the outside. So pious, so godly, but inside, Inside, they were full, Jesus said, of dead men's bones and uncleanness. Inside, they were rotten. They were unregenerate, unsaved religious people. That's all. See, the Pharisees loved to look good and be admired as those who were faithful and zealous for the traditions of Judaism. And they did everything they could to impress others with their spiritual devotion. And apparently, this desire... To look good in the eyes of his fellow Pharisees and fellow Jewish brethren as one who championed Judaism and the tradition of their fathers above everybody else was Paul. Saul of Tarsus before his conversion. That was one of Paul's motivating factors that drove him to persecute Christians in the early church before he was saved. Precisely what he's referring to here in verse 10. Or am I still striving to please men? Paul used to strive, he tells us, to please and gain the approval of his fellow Jews, especially his fellow Pharisees, by hunting down Christians and throwing them in jail and giving hearty hearty approval to their death. Paul said, that is what I knew would impress the Jewish community, and I did it. I did it. All that changed, though, when Paul came to faith in Christ. And now the apostle acknowledges that change in him by stating, notice at the end of verse 10, if I were still trying to please men, then I would not be a slave to Christ. If that's what I was still doing, I wouldn't be a slave to Christ. Paul recognized that upon his conversion, he became a slave. Not simply a servant, it should be translated, a slave to Christ. And as a slave, he was compelled to do only one thing. He had to obey his master, his master is Christ. That involved speaking the truth about false teachers who were cursed by God and preaching the truth of the gospel, even if it brought criticism from others. So instead of trying to please men like he used to do as a Pharisee, Paul now tried to please God as a Christian. So what does all, all this have to say to us? This is not just academic. What does it say to us in terms of how we should live? You don't want to read this and go, oh, Paul didn't want to uh, he wanted to please Christ, not men. But, but what does that say to us? Well, if Paul said that his conversion meant that he was a slave of Christ, and therefore he was now compelled to please the Lord by obedience, and that's exactly what our perspective should be. Because like Paul, if we've come to Christ, we're converted too, and we ought to have the same attitude because we have become slaves just as, just as much as Paul was a slave. But one of the great struggles that many of us have is that we are far too concerned with pleasing people, aren't we? People pleasers. We care too much about what other people think of us. And this desire for their approval often shows up in the way that we live. We tend when we want to please others to compromise what we know to be true in terms of speaking and living for Christ because That, well, we know it might bring criticism. It will bring criticism. It will bring the disapproval of non-Christians, and we're afraid of that. Now, no one likes being criticized. At least, I don't know anybody who likes to be criticized. Even people who say, well, I don't really care. That's absurd. Everybody cares. No one likes being criticized. No one likes being disliked. But when we become Christians like Paul, we become slaves to Jesus Christ. And therefore, our first and really our only responsibility is to please our master, our Lord, our our God. Therefore, like Paul, we do have to stand for the truth of the gospel, even if that requires us to say some unpopular and harsh sounding things like someone who rejects Christ is going to hell. Now, the balance of this is this. This does not give us a license to be rude to people in witnessing to them or to be nasty to them or antagonistic to them. Or obnoxious to them. Not at all. It just means that we have to say those things that Christ wants us to say, regardless of the consequences that they might bring. That's all. So here's the question you need to ask yourself if you struggle with being a people pleaser. And I think most of us do. You have to ask this question How can I develop the same attitude that the Apostle Paul had in no longer striving to please men, but only Christ? The answer is this, you do it the same exact way that Paul did it. This is not acquired the moment you're saved. There is a cultivating thinking that goes along with this. You have to think, here's the answer, you have to think and concern yourself more and more about the next world and less and less about this one. Let me show you what I mean. Let's turn back one book to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians chapter five. Notice verse nine, what Paul says. Now he's been talking about leaving this world, being with Christ, being in the body, out of the body, his spirit. And and he says in verse nine, therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, meaning at home in this body or being with the Lord, To be pleasing to him. Paul said, we make it our ambition to be pleasing to Christ, regardless of whether we are physically in his presence or here on earth. But notice this, Paul, how did you get that ambition? How did you cultivate that? How did you come to that place in your life where that was your overriding ambition and goal? He tells us in verse 10, for we must all, meaning every Christian, appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this is not a seat of judgment in the sense of Christ will judge our sins. That already took place when he died. Our sins were judged. This is really the the Bema seat of Christ where um, rewards will be handed out. This is not a judgment for sin. You'll never, if you know Christ, be paying for any of your sins. But you will be evaluated based on the way you conducted yourself in this world. So he says, for we must all appear before the Bema seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So the way Paul lived, he tells us here, was dictated by the truth that he would someday stand before Christ, look into his face and give an account for the way he lived. And so he purposed that he would live in such a way right now that pleased Christ. That was his only consideration, his only consideration. It was his ambition, he says, to be pleasing to him by obeying his word. But what helped him develop that ambition was the fact that he had his eye on eternity. So I ask you, do you ever think about eternity? As you go through your day, as you're at work, at home, whatever, do, do you ever think about it? Do you ever think that this life will soon be passed? And that someday you're gonna stand before Jesus Christ and this will be a distant memory. Do you ever stop and think about it? One man who did was Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards is one of my spiritual heroes. He lived in the American colonies before we were actually a nation in the early to mid 1700s, and he is still considered by many today to be America's greatest theologian. As one becomes familiar, with Edwards, as I have been trying to do through his writings, and from what his many biographers have written about him, it becomes apparent that this is a man who walked with God. In fact, outside of the Apostle Paul, and this is just my opinion, Jonathan Edwards strikes me as perhaps the godliest and most spiritual man that I have ever read about. What was the key to his godliness? Well, what was it that made Jonathan Edwards such a man who pursued Christ. It was the fact that he was determined to live on earth in such a way that when he arrived in heaven, he would have no regrets. He said that. Here's what one of his biographers, Ian Murray, said about Edwards and his view of eternity. Murray writes this, for Edwards, the life breath of religion, and by religion, he means his relationship with Christ. The life breath of religion is the thought of the world to come. This is the key to understanding Edwards, to take eternity out of the equation. His life looks very different. Think only of the trials, and Murray mentions a number of them, and the story of his life may look like a failure, but Edwards saw it differently. I acted, he could say, against all influence of worldly interest because I greatly feared to offend God. He feared offending God, and the reason that Jonathan Edwards so feared offending God was because he knew that he would stand before him someday, look into the face of Jesus Christ, the God-man, and give an account for the way he lived on earth. And so he lived on earth to please and to glorify Christ. That was exactly Paul's perspective. And it needs to be our perspective. Paul sought only to please Christ as his slave and not man. And so he was free then to speak out against these false teachers, regardless of what he had to say, because they were denying and distorting the gospel. And somebody had to say, in the strongest of languages, they're wrong. They're accursed by God. Now let's put all this together so we can understand where Paul is headed. In his line of reasoning and why he's about to give us, as I've said, so much personal information about himself. I remind you, in light of the fact that he has denounced the Judaizers for preaching a false gospel and has asserted that the message he preaches is the only true valid one. And he has defended himself against the charge that he's a man pleaser. Paul now proceeds to state why his gospel is the right one. He said it's the right one. Why is it, Paul? Why do you make such a claim? It's because this message, he tells us, was given to him by divine revelation. That's it. That's the only thing that makes this this gospel valid. God gave it. In other words, unlike the Judaizers, he didn't get his message from men. No man taught it to him. No one told him about it. And he certainly didn't invent such a message. Now, as we as we've already noted, and I just remind you, in verses eleven and twelve, Paul says that God is the source of his gospel message then from verses 13 until the end of the chapter he will begin to argue his point by giving us a brief biographical sketch of his life that proves that his gospel did not and could not come from anyone but god
2: we're running out of time so we'll have to get to those verses when we meet again one of my pastors years ago was preaching about the sanctity of marriage And someone in the front row was actually heckling him. It's the only time I've ever seen someone do that. My pastor put up with it for a while and finally stopped, looked directly at the man and said, Hey, I'm not making this up. I'm just reading to you what God said. No more heckling after that. When we get into our text on the next Verse by Verse, we'll see that Paul used something like that as part of his defense against the false teachers in Galatia, who were more or less heckling him in absentia. He said that what he had preached wasn't any man-made idea. It came straight from God. It's been good to have you with us today for Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These daily radio Bible classes spring from his teaching ministry at Lakeside. You can learn more about Verse by Verse at our website, versebyverseradio.org. We have a large selection of audio files available for downloading or streaming at no charge. However, producing and airing these programs does take funding. If you'd like to help, click on the giving link at our webpage, versebyverseradio.org, or call 727-239-0306. I'm Jerry Peterson. When someone lives solely to please Christ, they look pretty foolish to a lot of people. But that's just how the Apostle